Hello there, Read Together podcast listeners. My name is Rachel McKelvey Boggs, and I am so delighted to be coming alongside you in this journey as we read together through the Holy Bible as a conference. A little about me, I am a first-year seminary student up here at Duke Divinity School on the ordination track for the North Alabama Conference, and I love this podcast because it allows me to stay virtually connected with my home conference even while I am away in North Carolina, and so I am extra grateful today to get to actually be bringing the devotion for you all and be in community in this way. Now, today we have a great text to discuss, but I must warn you, it is a bit of a doozy. We're going to be spending some time today in the book of the prophet Amos, which, as many of you may know, is kind of a spicy book. Amos, who was actually a shepherd by trade, was sent by God to the northern kingdom of Israel to confront them for their injustice and hypocrisy and really just to call them out on how they have holistically failed as their duty as the people of God. This book is a collection of sermons and poems and visions from Amos that foretell of the coming destruction of Israel, and all in all is kind of a dark and depressing book because of this emphasis on judgment. Now, when asked to record a devotional for this podcast, I was given a list of scripture to pick from, and initially I shied away from the book of Amos because of the challenges it presents. It is a book that really gets down and dirty and acknowledges the failures of God's people and the consequences that they will have to face because of those failures. But as I began to spend time thinking about this devotional and praying and discerning what God was calling me to reflect on with you, I kept getting drawn back to humble little Amos and his message of social justice. Because though it is a challenging text, one that may make us cringe or shy away from its contents, It is often in these very texts that pull us out of our comfort zone where God is speaking to us. Those texts that hit a little too close to home, that address that area of your life that we may just want to sweep under the rug, those are the texts where maybe, just maybe, God is trying to reach out to you in your present moment to teach you something. So I finally relented, and here we are, spending time with this challenging but thought-provoking prophet as we think about what it means to be people of God with all of the roles and responsibilities that come with that. Now, we aren't going to tackle the whole book of Amos today, but rather just focus on one chapter, smack dab in the middle of the book, Amos chapter 5. And with what time we do have, I want to do a quick pass through this whole chapter, walking through the broader message of it. So I'm going to read the chapter and then break it down into chunks. But as I read, and it is several verses, so strap in, as I read, pay attention to how you respond to this text. Are there any moments that make you squirm? Are there any that may give you pause? Are there any that make you nod your head in assent or shake your head in dismay? I encourage you to just take note of that as we read, paying attention to how the Lord might be trying to meet you in this word. So hear now the words of the prophet Amos, reading from Amos chapter 5. Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen, no more to rise, is maiden Israel, forsaken on her land, with no one to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, The city that marched out a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which marched out a hundred shall have ten left. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, 
seek me and live. But do not seek Bethel, and do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, or he will break out against the house of Joseph like fire, and it will devour Bethel with no one to quench it. Ah, you that turn justice to wormwood and bring righteousness to the ground. The one who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name, who makes destruction flash out against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate the one who reproves in the gate, and they abhor the one who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and take from them levies of grain, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and push aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, the prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, just as you have said. Hate evil and love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, In all the squares there shall be wailing, and in all the streets they shall say, Alas, alas! They shall call the farmers to mourning, and those skilled in lamentation to wailing. In all the vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through the midst of you, says the Lord. Alas for you who desire the day of the Lord. Why do you want the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light, as if someone fled from a lion and was met by a bear, or went into the house and rested a hand against the wall and was bitten by a snake. Is not the day of the Lord darkness, not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up Sakuth your king and Kaiwan your star god, your images, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will take you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Thanks be to God for the reading of God's word. Now, I know that was a lot, and I don't expect you to take everything in with the first reading. It was 27 verses, and just we went through so much. I have a professor here at Duke who constantly reminds us that to read any text really well, you have to have one read through it just to let it wash over you, and then a second pass to really dig deeper and begin to comprehend what is being said. 
So I'm going to walk us through this chapter in little chunks, and I will read some snippets again to bring your attention to some notable messages in this text that stand out to me, and think more about what stood out to you as you were paying attention to your response in the reading. Now, the heading in my Bible labels the beginning of Amos 5 as a lament of Israel's sin, and truly that is what the first three verses are, a lamentation. These first verses publicly acknowledge and grieve the impending death of maiden Israel, mourning its failure to fulfill its mission in our world. The language here seems very definitive, with the first two verses saying, Fallen, no more to rise is Israel, forsaken on her land with no one to raise her up. But then in verses four through six, there is this exhortation to seek, implying that there may still be a bit of hope. This command to seek actually shows up four times over the course of this chapter, and three of them are right here in this snippet of verses. The first time is in verse 4, where the Lord says to Israel, Seek me and live. But what does that mean to seek the Lord? Well, for Amos, here in his prophetic exhortation, his prophetic message, he calls on Israel's identity as a people of justice committed to a God of justice. They are called to be people exhibiting fairness in all transactions, showing justice for all, but especially those who are vulnerable and in need, and harboring a spirit of righteousness in the heart of their community. But it is clear that the people of Israel have been failing to live into this identity and uphold these virtues of this God of justice. In verse 5, God tells them to not seek Bethel the second time seek shows up to not seek this faith community who in previous chapters is condemned for the incongruence between their worship practices and how they actually care for their community. Rather, what they should be doing is seeking God, letting their relationship with God transform their relationships with those around them. Then in verse 6, Amos takes the reins again, and he calls on the Israelites to seek the Lord and live to not just seek the attractive worship practices of communities like Bethel who distort the overlap of belief and practice, but to be truly transformed by God and work to live out these virtues of justice and righteousness. He calls them to move from passivity in discussing the justice of God into activity of bringing about the justice of God. And in verse 7, Amos really gives it to them, critiquing how the Israelites have so far failed in this mission. He says how they turn justice to wormwood, a bitter-tasting plant, insinuating that the people of God who are supposed to honor justice have instead spoiled it. Now, verses 8 through 9 break off from the narrative being laid out and pause for a hymn revering God's awesome power for judgment. These verses were likely a later addition because of how they break the flow of the Hebrew poetry, but they depict this powerful God who has a set order, who made things with intention and purpose, and has the power to bring judgment and destruction upon whatever interrupts or goes against that set order. It is a great and frightening doxology about God's power, and as we will come to learn, It is a promise of destruction that even the identity as God's chosen people cannot save the Israelites from. At the end of this hymnic interlude, there are verses 10 through 13, which return to Amos's critique of injustice done by the Israelites. And he calls out the particular ways that the Israelites have failed by using this interesting imagery of the gate, 
which shows up in verses 10, 12, and then later in 15. This place of the city gate served as a few different purposes in Israelite cities, and all of these are identified in this critique from Amos. Now, first, the gate to the city serves as a sort of courthouse. Elders of the city would meet here as a judicial council to settle disputes brought to them by the residents of the city. And here in verse 10, Amos implies that there is corruption in the gate court, saying that in the gate they hate the one who judges and they reject the one who speaks the truth. Now, secondly, the gate also served as a sort of social service agency, a place where those in need could seek assistance. But in verse 12, it is clear that the Israelites are neglecting their most vulnerable populace, choosing to push aside the needy at the gate. Here, those who are in need are shot down and rejected, given little attention despite the divine order to care for the needy. The role of the gate in both of these instances is meant to be a place where God's will can be done. As set up in Exodus chapter 23, when God commands that the Israelites bring justice for all, unfiltered and given as due. But it is clear in these verses that God's people have forgotten this command, choosing instead to conceal the truth for their own benefit, to trample and abuse the poor, to appropriate their grain, to punish the innocent, to take bribes, and to ignore the cries of the needy. But the third role of the gate, and perhaps one of the biggest issues for Amos, is that the gate served as a representation of the character of the city. As newcomers entered, they could get a taste of the values and beliefs of the city and its people. And because this was a city inhabited by the people of God, newcomers could, in theory, come in and get a taste of the values and the beliefs of the Israelite God. But as the Israelites have acted so far, they have not honored but have rather sullied the name of God, turning away from what the Lord commands of them and actually bringing shame to God. Instead, as God's people, as people of justice committed to a God of justice and righteousness, they should have declared justice and compassion at the gate, exemplifying their identity as people who are committed to this God of justice. So in verses 14 through 15, when Amos again for the fourth time calls on the Israelites to seek, this time the object being to seek good and not evil, he calls on them to establish justice at the gate, to put into practice the love of God that they claim and they are called to proclaim. And if they do this, if they seek and love good over evil, they will experience God's redeeming presence, and it may be enough for God to save the remnant of Joseph. But it is clear here that not everyone will be saved. Not everyone will escape the destruction that will soon befall them. For they are still given the call to seek the Lord so that they may live, But during this, the Israelites also have up to this point turned from God and done the opposite of what God commanded. And therefore, instead of seeking life, they have sought death. Pretty heavy stuff. And so again, Amos laments, saying, There will be great wailing and mourning for the failures of maiden Israel, and the Lord shall pass through them and bring about God's judgment. And here we read the final section of this chapter, headed with the title, The day of the Lord, a dark day. For the day of the Lord is the day that God defeats Israel's enemies, defeats that which has gone against the will of God. 
And unfortunately for the Israelites, they themselves have been the perpetuators of injustice and the offenders of God's kingdom. So Amos says, you should not rejoice and desire this day, for this day will bring down judgment on the enemies of God, and you yourself have become God's enemy. The lives that they have led, the practices that they have adopted are antithetical to the will of God. And now God must bring down justice where justice is due. In verses 21 through 24, God condemns the practices of the Israelite people, saying, I hate, I despise your festivals. Even though you make offerings to me, I will not accept them. God does not just want the Israelites' worship for the sake of worship. God has a will for the world that God created, and God calls on these holy people to help that will be fully realized. So God cares nothing for their worship practices if they are not also paired with the activity of working to manifest God's kingdom, a kingdom of justice and righteousness and compassion for all, regardless of status or economic worth or any other worldly distinctions. This is the very thing that God condemned Bethel for. The elite were engaging in regular and solemn worship but neglecting the poor and inhibiting the free and wild flow of justice that God demands. Even their generous offerings and most celebratory praise was meaningless unless the worshipers were actually transformed into imitators of God's justice and righteousness. God tells them that their worship, even if well-intended, is empty. Then verses 25 through 27 are truly just a kick in the teeth for the Israelite people. God reemphasizes how little this worship and these sacrifices mean in the face of their corruption, but also calls out how the worship and the sacrifices also clearly mean little even to the Israelites. God names how they have been giving offerings to other gods as well, even as far back as the 40 years in the wilderness after the Exodus. So these acts weren't even specially reserved as displays of loyalty to God. For them, this worship was a matter of covering their hides rather than honestly showing their love and devotion for this God who liberated them from slavery and gave them all of these privileges and this fruitful land. God reiterates that this empty worship has been and continues to be flimsy and uncompelling, and God will stand for it no longer. Now is the time that the Israelites must suffer the consequences for their continual failure to neglect God and God's will. Here, God is finally calling them out through the voice of Amos, telling them it is time to repent and reform or to deal with the consequences of working against and even insulting God. But that's how the chapter ends. Like I said at the beginning, it is a tough book because of how frank it is with God's anger and judgment on the Israelite people. It is not a side of God that we often like to talk about. But really, it's also not a side of being a follower of God that we like to talk about. These messages of the failures of the Israelites could easily be turned and waged against our modern church today. But though it is not an easy book to read or a comforting message to swallow, it still holds great value for us to reflect and really ponder if we too are failing God in our practice and worship. But though this book may be hard to read and may call out some harsh truths in the Israelites and in ourselves, ultimately, this book has an important message for us in exploring the relationship between God's justice and mercy, and in turn, a message about the identity of God and our identity as God's people. 
Still today, we can learn lessons from the hypocrisy of the Israelites and the ways that they failed God. And maybe we learn those lessons by seeing the same hypocrisy and failures inside ourselves. So as we close out our time today, I encourage you to reflect on what it means for you to seek God, to hate evil and love what is good. Think about how you worship God and reflect on whether your beliefs shared in church actually bleed over into the actions of your everyday life. I know this has been a hard and heavy chapter, and if you have lasted this long, I thank you for sticking it through to the end. But by discussing chapters like this, by really being honest with the failures of the saints who have gone before us and the failures that we perpetuate even now, we can finally embrace a true worship of God that lets justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream so that we may truly love one another as God called us to. Let us pray. Almighty God of justice, Be present with us this day as we work to do your bidding. Help us to see our own shortcomings, be honest with our own hypocrisy, and be accountable for the ways that we may not truly honor your name. Guide us as we walk through this life and help us to love what is good and hate what is evil. That way we may truly be about your work of justice and righteousness and bring that same spirit with us wherever we go. We offer this in your good and holy name. Amen.